0: At this time, let's turn in our copies of God's Word to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. Proverbs, chapter 18, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Let's listen now to the Word of God, beginning in verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem. Before destruction the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. He who answers a matter before he hears it It is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of His Word to us this evening. Amen. Seeking the Lord's blessing this evening in His Word, we'll be focusing our attention upon the first and last verses of Proverbs 18. Obviously, uh, the Holy Spirit through Solomon, the author of this chapter, has given us a a vast array of of Proverbs to consider. And, And just as we were Listening to those being read, perhaps we we were sparked in our thoughts to consider a number of these. But uh, we're going to be focusing our attention on verse 1 and verse 24. The first verse of the chapter which says this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Then the final verse, verse 24 a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. As you can see in the sermon title this evening, we're going to be considering the problem of loneliness in the Christian life, of the experience that many of God's children have in this world at various times, perhaps all of us have, have run across this in our own lives at various junctures where we feel isolated. Perhaps we are isolated from fellowship and relationship with others. And as a result of that isolation, we experience loneliness. We experience the bitterness and the difficulty and the pain and the anguish of feeling that isolation in our soul. Loneliness is a reality in the Christian life, and so this evening we're going to be looking at these two verses in particular, verse 1 and verse 24 of Proverbs 18, and we're going to be seeking to understand what loneliness and isolation are, and uh, look for some biblical counsel for how we can overcome loneliness in the Christian life. Now we begin by simply pointing out that God has created us in His own image to function within relationships. We know right from the outset in the very first chapter of the Bible that God said within the council of the Trinity, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, so on and so forth. Verse 27 So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And we're told then that God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you can see there's a plurality of persons within the Godhead. Within one God, there are three persons. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And of course, fundamentally, this involves knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, as we could pivot to passages from Ephesians and Colossians, and certainly as it's stated in our catechism. But included in that is that man is a relational creature. There's something of a reflection of God Himself, who is love, and who has a communion of love, between the plurality of the persons in the Godhead. And so God is, uh, He's one God, but there's a we, there's an us, there there are these eternal relations within the Godhead. And so when God makes man, He makes him male and female. And then male and female come together and are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with a plurality of human persons Ergo, there are these relationships that we've been created and designed to function within as God's image bearers. Now, first and foremost, God made man to be in a communion or a relationship with Himself. You can see that when He says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. This is the same language that's used of Adam when he, after the fall, begets a son in his own likeness after his image namely Seth this is the imagery of sonship so god creates adam luke chapter 2 or 3 is it says that adam was a son of god in that sense by creation god made mankind in his own image and likeness in the same way that a father begets a son in his own image and likeness and so here we have man created to be God's child, God's son, the offspring of God, Acts chapter 17. And so we've been created to be in a relationship with God Himself. God has relations of love within the Trinity. God creates man to enter into fellowship and sonship with God Himself. And you can see this in the opening chapters of Genesis. God, in this relationship, He's established with mankind, communicates with Adam. He speaks to him. He walks with him. He communes with Adam and Eve. And as it says when God speaks to Moses, he speaks to him face to face as one man as a man speaks to his friend. That's the imagery of Genesis 1 through 3 that God is speaking to mankind communicating face to face as one communicates with his friend. And of course we know that our chief end is relational our chief end is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever what does it mean to glorify god it means to keep the law of god uh, to reflect his glory by keeping his commandments to love god supremely and to love others as we love ourselves and so the the law of god is grounded in relationship and so glorifying god is relational enjoying god is relational uh, we enjoy God by fellowship and communion with Him. And there's a connection in Proverbs chapter 8 between the loving fellowship enjoyed between the Father and the Son, with the loving fellowship enjoyed between God and man. Proverbs 8, verse 30 and 31. This is the, the eternal word and wisdom of God, Christ Himself. Then I was beside Him. That is, In the bosom of the Father. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Beside God. He says, Then I was beside Him as a master craftsman, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him. So there you see that the Father delights in the Son. I was daily the Father's delight. So the Father's delighting in His Son. And then we see, rejoicing always before Him. So I was His delight, He was delighted in me in other words, and I was rejoicing always before Him. So mutual love and affection and delight and pleasure in that relationship between the Father and the Son. Then the next verse says, the wisdom of God, Christ says, rejoicing in His inhabited world. And my delight was with the Son's of men. So here we have the eternal Word of God, Christ Himself saying that His delight was with the sons of men. So He's delighting in mutual love with His Father. And now, as God creates mankind, there's a delight and a relationship and a fellowship that exists between God and man. And it's through the Gospel that this relationship which has been broken down is, is brought back together the ministry of reconciliation. That's what the Gospel is. Uh, We have been uh, torn asunder and separated from God by our sins and we're reconciled to God and there's peace between God and man through the cross of Christ and then peace between one another. So there's a relationship with God Himself that we've been created and redeemed to be part of. And as I mentioned, it flows into our relationship with others. God creates Adam, and then in Genesis 2.18, after giving him responsibilities in the garden to keep it and tend it, so on and so forth, He gives him various commands. But He says, Genesis 2.18, that it is not good that man should be alone. It's not good for him to be alone. It's not good for him to be all by himself isolated, without human companionship. And of course, the, the very first, and in a sense the, the foremost, the primary means of dealing with that issue, you can see, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So God provides Adam with a wife. So there's this friendship, this relationship. Again, God creates man, male and female. Tells them to be fruitful and multiply. So so first and foremost, God solves the problem of isolation with the family. The family. Husband and wife. And uh, God willing, certainly in the case of Adam and Eve, children. Fruitfulness. Multiplication. Filling the earth. God didn't make us to be selfish and isolated and focused on our own desires. God made us that we might be in fellowship with our spouse and with our children and our children's children uh, unto future generations. That's how God made us to be. And and of course, we see in Genesis 4 that this expands to the church gathered for worship. It's not just that we have fellowship and friendship in our family, but it extends beyond that to the gathered church. Genesis 4 verse 26, Uh, we're told, that in the days of Enosh, men began to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, they began to meet for worship collectively, not just as individual families, but collectively together, men began to call on the name of the Lord. They'd gather for prayer, and certainly we have people at that time that are identified as prophets, such as Enoch and others. And so the Word of God would be proclaimed. So so here you have the church as as really an extension of the family. All families in the earth are blessed, but they gather together corporately to worship God. And this is reflected throughout the Psalms. As we praise God, we're reminded constantly of the fellowship that we have, not just in our families, but uh, with the church at large. Psalm 122, verse 1, which we sang before the service. The psalmist says, as he's a pilgrim on the path to Zion, a song of ascent during the festal season, he's traveling with God's people to Jerusalem, he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us go. You See there's that let us when God made man. And there's a let us when God's people come together, there's a communion. There's a fellowship. You see it also in Isaiah chapter 2. Even all the nations, let us go up to the house of the Lord. The psalmist says, verse 6, "...pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls." He goes on to say, "...for the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you." It's not just his kinsmen according to the flesh, But we see throughout the Psalms this emphasis on the house of Israel, the house of Levi, the house of Aaron, and all who fear the Lord, even the Gentile proselytes in the church of God. Psalm 119, verse 63, as we sing in our psalm book, I'm friend of all who reverence you. So God's people have a kinship, a friendship, a fellowship with all who fear the Lord. As we sang in Psalm 133, What a good and pleasant thing it is for brothers to join together in unity. Jesus promises to be present where two or three are gathered in His name. The apostles in Acts 2 were gathered all together in one place for prayer, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them on the day of Pentecost. Hebrews 10 tells us we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the practice or custom of some is, But rather, we ought to come together and worship the Lord and stir one another up to love and good works. As we saw in our call to worship, the Lord Himself says, It's not about my physical mother and brethren, but it's rather, more importantly, my primary focus is on my mother and brothers and sisters in the family of God. Here are my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother uh, and brother and sister. So there's the fellowship that exists within the church. And of course, there's a fellowship and a kinship that exists in society as well. Uh, We ought not to be so focused on our personal family tree and our own families that we neglect our relationships in the broader society. The Bible mentions the, the, the need of loving our neighbor. Not just our brother, but our neighbor. uh, Our neighbor who may not be related to us. Proverbs 27.10 says this, "...Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away." So you can see here that yes, it's important to have family relationships, It's important to have relationships in the church, it's important to have family and friends, but when you're really in a pickle and you need someone and there's a neighbor close by whom you may not be related to and he may not be your best friend, but cultivate such a relationship with the people around you in society that you're able to interact with your neighbor. Perhaps there's something uh, desperately wrong at your house and you need help right away, you know, you, you don't have time to call up your best friend, or your brother, or your uncle, or whomever from your family. But you can have good relationships even with your neighbor who is nearby. Uh, even in the midst of a wicked culture, we're told to live at peace insofar as it depends upon us. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, so on and so forth. But the point is that we're to cultivate, insofar as it depends upon us, a good relationship with our neighbors. Uh, Paul speaks of his countrymen, his kinsmen according to the flesh, but really he's referring to the Jewish nation, the people around him in Jewish society. So we need to be cultivating good relationships because these are the, the, the institutions, family, church, and society that God has set up uh, to deal with this problem of isolation. It's not good to be alone. We need family. We need brothers and sisters in the, in the church. And we even need good relationships with our neighbors. So God has created, this way, created us this way. Now, isolation, therefore, is unnatural and undesirable isolation, where we're set apart from everybody else, we're off on our own, we're isolated, this is unnatural and undesirable. God has not created us to be hermits. He's not created us to live our entire lives away from all communion and fellowship with others. Or, or to spend most of our time by ourselves. That's not how He's made us. It's, it's unnatural and generally speaking, it's undesirable. It's not good for man to be alone. Solomon elsewhere deals with this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 8, he says, There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches, but he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. So it's unnatural, it's vain, it's fleeting, it's undesirable in every way. Uh, to spend our lives doing whatever we're doing, whatever agenda, whatever personal gain, or, or whatever our goals are, we're, we're setting aside friendship and fellowship. He says it's vain, it's vanity. It's a grave misfortune. He goes on, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. In other words, they can enjoy it together. This is not just talking about marriage and this sermon is not, you know, it's not as though I'm saying, you know, single people, you need to get married or something like that. This applies generally in our lives. You can be isolated in marriage. You can be married and have children and still be isolated and still be dealing with loneliness. But we're, we're laying a foundation here of biblical principles. Uh, Solomon goes on, "...for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him." There's strength in numbers, strength in companionship and solidarity and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, so isolation is unnatural, it's undesirable, it's not good, it's not beneficial, it's dangerous in some sense. And and so it's perfectly natural for believers when they come into a position of isolation in some respect to experience loneliness. It's perfectly natural when when we're isolated perhaps Someone that we've been close friends with moves away or someone we love uh, dies or uh, who knows what it could be. Uh, Maybe something on an even grander scale. We feel alone and we, we should feel bad about that. There's a sense in which that's natural for us to sense that isolation as a bad thing, as an undesirable thing, and therefore to experience loneliness. It's perfectly natural for us even as believers. You see it with Elijah where you've got 850 prophets against him, and he says, I alone am left. And then even after the fire falls from heaven to consume the sacrifice on Mount Carmel, he's still down in the dumps under the broom tree, and then he goes to Mount Sinai and makes his pilgrimage there, and he complains to the Lord that he's the only one left, and and he senses this isolation. He's filled with something of despair over his loneliness and that's normal when we feel isolated yes we're going to experience loneliness so what counsel from the word of god can we bring for the lonely christian what counsel can we bring from the word of god well first first piece of counsel for the lonely christian flows out of proverbs 28 verse or 18 verse 1 a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Uh, make sure that your isolation is not self-inflicted. right? So that's the first rule of thumb, the first counsel from the Word of God. Let's, before we get into the other stuff, let's just make sure that our isolation is not self-inflicted. There are those who isolate themselves. Whether they're intending to do that or not, there's something about their behavior that is isolating themselves. In some cases, they are intending to do that. Isolating themselves. Now, Proverbs 18, verse 1, it's unclear whether uh, the man is isolating himself because he's seeking his own desire. In other words, he's isolating himself because he's selfish. And since he can't get what he wants without isolating himself, well, he just isolates himself and enjoys his personal pleasure. And in doing so, he rages against all wise judgment. In other words, it's unwise to isolate yourself. That's what it could mean. But if you read it carefully, it could also mean that the person who isolates himself uh, is putting himself in a situation where he lacks that accountability. He lacks the oversight, the accountability, the feedback from other people around him. And so, he's going to be unrestrained in seeking his own desire. In other words, if I isolate myself from everybody else in my life that might give me good counsel, that might help keep me focused on God's will for my life, if I isolate myself, that's going to promote a selfish lifestyle where I go off the rails. Uh, And it's going to promote a situation where the more isolated I become, the more I'm going to tend to rage against all wise judgment. So it could be either way. But I think in in practice, in experience, uh, regardless of of which interpretation you take, both are true in experience. That very often, people isolate themselves because of selfish desires, because they want to get what they want, and so they disregard uh, relationships in the family, in the church, or in society, because they want what they want, and, and, and in isolating themselves, they're being unwise. And then flowing out of that isolation of themselves, it gets worse. They become more selfish and less wise. Uh, so, so that's the idea here. But make sure that your isolation is not self-isolation. Make sure you're not isolating yourself, that you're not separating yourself. And we can do that for a variety of reasons. Perhaps we experience anxiety or insecurity we're worried about what other people will think we feel rejected by other people whether that's uh, a reasonable conclusion or not maybe we were rejected at some point and now we're afraid to enter into a friendship a relationship that gets beneath the surface because we're anxious we're worried we're feeling despised and rejected and insecure And, and so we just put up that wall and we refuse to relate to people at anything other than a surface level. Uh, we're engaged in self-protection. Uh, we, we have distrust. We're like the psalmist who says, all men are liars, right? Because one person burned us, uh, we distrust everyone else. And, and ultimately, we become so focused on ourselves, self-absorbed. And, and even though perhaps we've been victimized, we, we focus on it, We we become almost an obsession with ourselves and our self-protection and and we just stubbornly refuse to move on. We can isolate and separate ourselves for that type of reason and really deny ourselves. We put ourselves in a vicious cycle. We deny ourselves what God says is good and what is uh, really tailor-made by the Lord to heal us and to restore our soul through fellowship with others. Uh, in addition, we can isolate ourselves due to a lack of effort to make friends. Uh, and by the way, this is just the first point, so I'm, I'm not beating up on lonely people. That's not the point here. Um, but, but there are some things to get out of the way and make sure that we're, we're not causing this ourselves. Um, Proverbs 18, verse 24, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Uh, so we can fall into this sort of entitlement complex where... Uh, this is the sort of friendship and relationship that I deserve. This is what I should get. And when I don't get that from my spouse or from my children, when I don't get that from other people in the church, I get upset. I'm totally passive. I'm not uh, you know, initiating and, and being the friend that I want other people to be to me. I'm sitting back entitled to these kinds of relationships. And when they don't happen... In my passivity, I sit back and complain. And there may be opportunities that, uh, that I have to fellowship with uh, other Christians. There may be opportunities I have to spend time with my children or with my spouse. There may be opportunities, as I said, in the church where, where I can come to a prayer meeting or a Bible study or an event of some kind for spiritual fellowship. Even the worship of God, morning and evening on the Sabbath. There are these opportunities but I'm not taking the opportunity to come and enjoy those things and then I wonder why I don't have the relationships that I desire. And, and you know, it could even manifest itself in in a situation where I come to those things and then I leave immediately. Uh, not because I have a pressing responsibility, but just, you know, I'm just not putting in the effort, right? And I, I can recall over the last 11 years sitting in a number of um, family visitations, especially early on in my ministry with with the other elders. I can remember myself and other elders just emphasizing verse 24 of our text. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. It's a reminder that that has been given over and over again, and rightly so, because we sometimes sit back uh, and and we're too passive. Uh, If you want to make a friend, be a friend, and take the initiative There are countless people in the church that are probably just as lonely as you are. Take the opportunity. Be their friend. Uh, But you see, another reason we uh, isolate ourselves is that in doing so, we're too selective. You know, we're like uh, Baruca from Willy Wonka. You know, I want this type of friend and not that type of friend. Uh, I want to associate with these people and I want them to spend time with me. But those people over there, I don't want to spend time with them. And we become picky and selective. And at the end of the day, we're again sitting as a wallflower and not taking the initiative when there are perhaps many people that God would have us to befriend. But no, we want this kind of friend or that kind of friend. And Paul deals with this in Romans 12. Romans 12, where he's dealing with love without hypocrisy. He says in verse 16, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. He says associate with the humble. Look for someone who needs a friend and be a friend to that person. And you'll be surprised how many opportunities for friendship and fellowship come out of that. I mean, this is how God has created His church, right? He, he's saved not many wise or strong or noble, not the best and brightest, but uh, the, the the foolish things of the world, the base things of the world, the things that are not. He, he's chosen uh, for a dance partner, as it were, uh, the person that nobody else wanted to dance with, the person that nobody else wanted to be a friend of or spend time with, He's chosen those kinds of people. And so if God has showed us that kind of love in befriending us through Christ and through the Gospel, we need to be careful that we don't become baruka, spoiled brats that are demanding this friend or that friend, but we look for the friendships that God gives us, the opportunities that He gives us. Uh, finally, we can isolate ourselves By not being selective enough. Not being selective enough. In this sense that bad company corrupts good morals. Bad friends are like a little leaven that leavens the lump. And you see this in the parable of the prodigal son. That he goes out with all the money to the foreign land. Whether he's actually spending it on harlots or not. His brother accuses him of that. But no doubt he would have had friends. He would have had companions. But by the end of it, his wicked companions are nowhere to be found when he hits rock bottom. They have perhaps led him in an evil path. He's hit rock bottom. He's lost his money. He spends it all. He ends up in the pigsty and no one would give him anything, we're told. So whatever friends he had, they were long gone. When you choose ungodly friends, that is going to hinder your communion and fellowship with God. It'll hinder your relationship with God. It'll ultimately hinder the course of your life and eventually lead to, in most cases, some form of hitting rock bottom, alienation, especially if you're a Christian, right? Because, and that's what we're focusing on here. If you're a Christian, God's not going to let you continue so He's going to bring you down and those people are going to be long gone. Nowhere near you to help you. Uh, Proverbs 13 Verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And when that destruction comes, those foolish companions are going to be long gone. And there you'll be lonely once again. So, make sure you're not isolating yourself in any of these ways. Now, secondly, secondly, recognize God's sovereignty over your isolation. Recognize God's sovereignty over your isolation. Whatever circumstances have led you to feel isolated, God has ordained these things from before the foundation of the world. Romans 8.28 says that he, He works all things together for your good because you're a believer, because you're in a love relationship with Him. He's called you out of darkness. You're His child. So He's ordaining all these things for your good. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. He's sanctifying you. He's preparing you for heaven. And there are many reasons that God sometimes isolates us. Sometimes He isolates us simply to remove us from the wrong crowd. Again, the best thing that ever happened to the prodigal son was that he ended up lonely in the pigsty and began to think of his father's house. And he wanted to return to his father's house. So sometimes... When we're walking away from the Lord, the Lord will give us a time of loneliness and isolation as a precursor to being drawn into a closer relationship with Himself. Uh, Hosea chapter 2 speaks of God bringing His people into the wilderness and then wooing them and drawing them back to Himself in the wilderness. Sometimes He brings us into that uh, lonely, howling wilderness. Look with me at Psalm 142. You see this principle here Psalm 142, verses 4 and 5. Here the psalmist says, Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me, no one cares for my soul. That's isolation, that's loneliness. Right? And the psalms contain the anatomy of all parts of the soul. The lonely Christian can come to the psalms and say, I'm not the only person who's ever felt loneliness. The psalmist, under inspiration, says, no one cares for my soul. But then look verse 5. I cried to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. So it moves him to cry out to the Lord. It moves the prodigal to return to the Father's house. He says, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So he values God more. He values his relationship, his friendship with God all the more because he's been deprived of that human companionship. Now, Wouldn't it be great if we were all so godly that God never had to do that to get our attention and to draw us back to Himself? But the fact is, you and I are not anywhere near that point. right? We need that chastening. We need that purification process. We need God sometimes uh, to draw us close to Himself by first putting us in this situation. I'm lonely. No one cares for me. Ah, but I cry out to the Lord. Uh, Maybe it's the case that your prayer life is basically on life support, and so God isolates you to get you to be stirred up even to pray. And now you're praying. Now you're crying out to the Lord. Now He's your refuge. Now He's your portion in the land of the living. And God, by doing this, has jump-started your Christian life. Uh, So many examples could be given from Scripture about God orchestrating this kind of thing. You think of Naomi in the book of Ruth. Uh, who made a foolish decision to leave uh, the land of Israel and go to Moab. And by the end of it, God brings her back to Himself and back to His people. How? Uh, her husband dies. Her two sons die. She's alone. She's isolated. She's bereaved. But it's God's sovereign will to bring her back closer to Himself so that she can be, go from being Mara, uh, bitterness, to being fruitful and seeing uh, the Lord's blessing upon Ruth and Boaz and the future generations leading up to David. So God is sovereign over these things. Uh, he also does this to, co- to conform us to Christ. Uh, the fellowship of His sufferings. Christ, in standing alone for the truth, stood alone for the truth. He was despised. He was rejected of men. Psalm 69, 8 and 9 I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me." So you might experience, especially in society, in the day and age we live in, you may experience isolation, loneliness, at school, in the workplace, in society, on your sports team. You may experience something of this isolation And it is the reproach of Christ that's greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. This is the fellowship of His sufferings. You're being conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ who Himself felt as a fish out of water, an alien even to His close friends and relatives. So the Lord does this in a variety of ways and for a variety of purposes. Uh, Sometimes He brings us into isolation so that He can speak a word of encouragement to us. And you know yourself that sometimes the the best thing that can happen for your Christian life uh, is for something to go wrong, and then God speaks a word in season to you who are weary. And and in in a sense, we've all been there. I I suspect as Christians, we, we think to ourselves... Um, it, it's sweeter having gone through the trial and received that Word from God as we're reading the Scriptures, that promise that speaks to our situation. Jesus speaks that Word in season to those who are weary. And, and what an encouragement, what, how uplifting it is in our Christian life. Sometimes God, as it were, causes the man to be born blind so that His glory and love can be revealed in healing the man of his blindness. Sometimes that's what the Lord does, and uh, I think uh, in some situations that uh, we need to be uh, encouraged that God will provide a new relationship to, to, to take the place of the old. This is often the case. Uh, perhaps a close friend uh, moves away, or someone that we love dies, and there is this vacuum, there is this emptiness in our lives, like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, when Faithful is put to death. But soon after that, as he continues on the way, he, he he continues on the path to the Celestial City. The Lord very quickly provides Hopeful to come along. See, when the Lord removes a Faithful, he often, we can say, ordinarily provides a Hopeful. We have to be patient. We have to follow the path step by step. But the Lord provides people to encourage us. He he provides, as we'll see in another illustration later in the sermon, He provides a a helper, an encouragement. He provides a spouse. It's a gift from God. But He also provides friends and encouragers like Barnabas along the way. Where He takes away a faithful. He, He ordinarily sends a hopeful to come alongside. So, recognize God's sovereignty over your isolation. Thirdly, understand that no true Christian is ever ultimately alone. No true Christian is ever ultimately alone. As our text says, there is a friend who is closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So we need to cultivate human relationships, companionship, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, we have a Father in Heaven. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our Heavenly Father. Dear believer, your Heavenly Father. You have a Father in Heaven who loves you. The the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is your King, your Lord, your Savior, your Bridegroom, your elder brother. He loves you. The Father is the God of all comfort. The Son is our Comforter. And the Holy Spirit is another Comforter whom the Father and the Son send to dwell within our hearts. To comfort us. To strengthen us. We're children of God. We're friends of God like Abraham. We're the bride of Christ. So we're never ultimately alone. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother we have living inside of us. God Himself. It's interesting, you go through the New Testament, you can find in Ephesians 4 that the Father is in us all. You can look at Ephesians 3, Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith. You go back to Ephesians 2, and we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. God Himself, filled with all the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are temples of the living God. God dwelling in us. And so we need to be aware of this. We need to be mindful of this. Proverbs, or or rather Psalms uh, 27.10. Uh, Such a comforting verse. When we feel isolated, but we need to remember by faith that God dwells in us. That we have a friend. I mean, there are situations in my life when I have felt lonely and isolated. And I, I will dare to say, every single time. Every single time in that situation when I have looked to the Lord, I have sensed His presence. He has strengthened me. He has encouraged me. He draws closer to me in those moments than at other moments. Uh, Man's extremity is really an opportunity for God to draw near. That is how He ordinarily works. Again, it's by faith. It's not automatic. But in those times of isolation we can say with the psalmist, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You see that word, then. Then the Lord will take care of me. At that moment, we can expect God ordinarily... Of course, He he forsook Christ on the cross. That was unique. Christ was our Savior, our mediator, our substitute. But ordinarily, the Lord draws near to His people at these particular moments but we need, to, we need to draw near to God by faith if He's going to draw near to us in our experience. And so by faith we cultivate the presence of that friend who sticks closer than a brother and who comforts us even when our father and mother should even disown us. Psalm 139 verse 7, another comforting passage. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you see, God is with Him at all times. And, and so every believer, even in uh, outward Loneliness, humanly speaking, can say, yes, I have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What a friend I have in Jesus. There's no greater love than that Jesus would give up his life for his friends. And he saved me, and he's made me into his friend. Jesus himself, in all the uh, being despised and rejected of men, isolated and... Cancelled and set aside, we're told in John 16, verse 32, He says, Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come. That you will be scattered. Speaking to the disciples. so All His closest friends, disciples, they're all going to scatter. Each to his own, and will leave Me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with Me. You see that? Jesus as the pioneer of our faith, as the God-man in His humanity. He says, you're going to leave Me alone, but I'm not alone. The Father is with Me. And so, the Father will never leave nor forsake any of His children. These are the promises. These are the statements of Scripture that we need to keep in our minds. God has a faithful track record. Uh, You look at Paul's life. 2 Timothy 4.16 at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. See, he's not bitter in his isolation, in his loneliness, because he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. So at that moment, when he's abandoned at his own trial, nobody's there to support him at his trial in front of the judge. And yet, the Lord drew near to him in an intimate and powerful way. My friends, no true Christian is ever ultimately alone. And in some sense, you may not be as isolated as you think. Elijah famously thought he was the only one, but in reality, the Lord says, I've got 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. Now, as I've often said, it would have been nice if those 7,000 had been with him on Mount Carmel. But the fact of the matter is there were other believers. There were people. And when, when uh, Elijah fell into deep depression, isn't it interesting when he was feeling that loneliness and isolation that the Lord gave him a task to go anoint the prophet Elisha? He gave him a bunch of tasks, but that's the first one Elijah did because he wanted a companion, he wanted a friend, he wanted a colleague, he wanted a fellow prophet. And so he he takes that marching order from the Lord and he goes and he's faithful. He's lonely, but he he takes up the responsibility that God gives him and lo and behold, God gives him a friend. God gives him a companion. Uh, as they work together dynamically for the kingdom of God. So you may not be as isolated as you think. There may be even people around you where you can receive and give a great high degree of Christian companionship uh, if you would just take the initiative and look and pray and and seek for those relationships. Um, They're they're out there. Uh, Fourth and final counsel. So, so far we've seen make sure that you're not isolating yourself. Second, recognize God's sovereignty over your isolation. So, uh, use it for the glory of God. Be drawn closer to the Lord. Thirdly, understand that you're really, as a believer, never ultimately alone. But fourthly, wait upon the Lord to provide the companionship that you need. Again, when God removes a faithful, He ordinarily in His time supplies a hopeful. Wait upon the Lord to provide the companionship that you need. And what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, there are three things here. You're going to want to wait prayerfully. Wait prayerfully. Uh, one of the things that happens when we're lonely is, again, it, it's often used by God to jumpstart our prayer life. So bring this prayer before the throne of grace. Uh, Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, that includes this, you feel lonely, this would apply to single people, they're looking for a spouse, they're wanting to find a husband or a wife, and maybe they're anxious about it, but bring it to the Lord. In everything, by prayer and supplication, that means asking for things in Christ's name for the glory of God according to His will. Uh, In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, so you're not coming like Baruchah, but you're thankful and you're content, and yet you're seeking these things for the glory of God. He says, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, bring this before the Lord in faith. What good is it to pray Uh, in unbelief or as a token gesture, right? Come to the Lord. He gives the gift of a godly spouse. He gives the gift of godly friendships. He gives the gift even of friendships in your own neighborhood, within your society. I mean, in all these spheres of life. Come to the Lord and ask Him. Ask Him with contentment and thankfulness of heart. Yet, ask Him nonetheless. We wait upon God Prayerfully. Secondly, we wait upon God proactively. Proactively. Whatever God's given you to do, do it. Don't sit back saying, well, I'm lonely, woe is me. Go anoint Elisha as prophet. Go do what God's called you to do. Because in the way of obedience, you'll find the way of blessing and the way of provision. If you're really seeking godly friendships to help you in your service to God for the glory of God, well then, show it by Running in the path of obedience, in the path that God's called you to, to run in. Serve God faithfully, and God will provide the relationships that you need, uh, the, the suitable helpers, whether that's a spouse or a friend. He'll provide these things if we're proactively doing His will. Um, you, you can see a beautiful example of this. Uh, a beautiful example of this. John chapter 19, verse 38. Jesus has been taken down from the cross. Uh, We're told after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. So he's a disciple, but he hasn't professed it publicly. He's really struggling with this. He's feeling alone. He's on the Sanhedrin. He's feeling lonely. He's feeling isolated as a secret disciple. We're told he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. You figure that's a lonely task. Here he is all alone, taking the body of Jesus. He's a secret disciple. He's got no Christian fellowship, no encouragement. His Savior has died on the cross. He doesn't perhaps understand what's happening. Notice verse 39. And Nicodemus, another secret disciple, right? Another guy who needed a Christian friend. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, "...also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds." So perhaps Joseph of Arimathea is saying, look, I've got the tomb, but where are the spices? I'm all alone. And here comes Nicodemus. You can see perhaps even tears of joy running down his face as, as he sees this brother in Christ approaching. Nicodemus also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds." And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices and so on and so forth. They worked together. But notice, uh, Joseph didn't know that Nicodemus was coming. He just followed God's leading and did what he was supposed to be doing, serving the Lord as he was able. And God provided that Christian companion in the way of obedience and service. Beautiful example of waiting upon the Lord proactively. Finally, waiting upon the Lord for, for Christian companionship patiently. Patiently, we'll conclude with this: waiting patiently. Uh, Hebrews thirteen five. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Think about this in terms of relationships. Be content with such things as you have be content. You're single, you want to be married? Yes, but in a way, be content. Maybe God will provide that spouse soon, who knows, but, but be content in your current situation. You're in a difficult marriage? Be content. Be content. You're in difficult friendships, you're struggling relationships in the church? Be content with the relationships you have. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you content with Christ? Are you content with Christ as your heavenly spouse? Are you content with God as your Father? With the children of God as your brothers and sisters? Are you content with Christ as the friend who sticks closer than a brother? Are you content with the Holy Spirit as the Comforter who meets your needs and soothes your soul? Are you content with God Himself who will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, pray for the companionship. Yes, be proactive in the way of obedience. But wait patiently and wait contentedly, trusting in the Lord and finding deep, deep delight in the relationship you have with Him that is far more important than any other companionship, for it is the eternal relationship that You will be enjoying in Heaven forever. Let's pray. Lord God in Heaven, You are our Father. We thank You for this word of counsel. And we ask that You would draw near to us in moments or even seasons of life in which we experience isolation and loneliness. That You would enable us to be Prayerful in seeking Your face in these difficult times. Experiencing Your friendship, Your fellowship, Your love. And that we would also be proactive in doing Your will and in patiently and contentedly waiting for Your supply of the human companionship that You've created us to enjoy. We ask, Lord, that You would write these things on our hearts And enable us to believe and obey them for Jesus' sake. Amen.